You're listening to the Central Station Podcast, where we bring you true stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. Carolyn Ashby is one of Australia's toughest athletes. She's competed in 10 Ironman triathlon events, qualifying for the World Championships five times, and has been ranked in the top 1% of Ironman athletes across the world several times. She's accomplished all of this while raising a family on a livestock and cropping farm in Western Australia, far from any traditional training facilities. Her training regime consists of swimming laps in a dam, riding her bike alongside road trains, and literally running around the farm's gravel tracks. And this isn't a story about an athlete who grew up in the city and moved to the country for love. Carolyn was raised on a sheep and cattle station three hours from Broken Hill, with no regular access to sports lessons or facilities. So, How did this bush kid fall in love with athletics and what motivated her to pursue it at the highest level when she was living in the middle of nowhere? We grew up on a sheep and cattle station, 280 k's northeast of Broken Hill on the Darling River, and it was 20,000 acres. Uh, we would go out mustering sheep and cattle uh, with mum and dad and, uh, you know, and we would just all, we'd all go out and have our own motorbikes and little Suzuki's and move a Suzuki that we all learned to drive in had no brakes. And so <laughs> you'd have to pump the brakes and it had no doors either. Like it was like, you know, one of those, it was like 13 years old or something and it was, we used to, that was, that was the one we used to go shooting in as well, you know, because we just didn't have any horse, we know, just put the gun out and just shoot, you know, because it was easy to get the kangaroos and stuff. So we're like, yeah, so someone being the Susie and then someone will be in the, you know, Toyota and then we'll be on the motorbikes. And I remember one of the um, prerequisites of riding the motorbikes was because they were the 250 Hondas and they were really heavy motorbikes and we were little, like, we were, like, we were strong, but we were little girl, you know what I mean? And dad, one of dad's prerequisites is that we had to be able to lift the bike up off the ground before we, could ride it. So you know, even if the bike tipped on, tipped on us, then we were, you know, we were safe enough. So you're like, you know, the bike, the bike might have been like twice the size of us, but as long as we could lift it up, then that was fine to do that. That's a good rule because I actually came off a bike a few years ago in very slow motion, like first gear, and I, it took me a while to get it up. Yeah, yeah, I know it can be quite like, especially if it lands on top of you in the, you know, in a big like soggy, you know, in the black country when after the floods go down, it can be quite. Bumpy, like really, really bumpy. So yeah. The argument I always make for horses is that at least if they fall on you, they'll get up. Motorbike, they're lazy. They're not <laughs> going to get up off you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. And you're one of five girls. And tell me, there was, I, I have heard a little from a little birdie that you guys may or may not, but from my perspective, I'm just going to roll with it, were maybe the, um, inspiration behind McLeod's daughters oh, yeah. or part of the inspiration. Yes, there's a river story going around. So we went to a bull sale in Broken Hill and one of the photographers from Stock Journal took a photo of us five girls with dad and mum 
with one of the um, Hereford bulls that we bought. And it was on the front page of the, of the stock journal. And I remember someone was saying about the McLeod's daughters for the inspiration of it. They could, they saw a photo of, um, you know, the five girls with the, on the newspaper. And that was the inspiration for McLeod's daughters. And we're like, Oh, okay. Well, that's good. We'll just run with that. I don't know whether that's true, but it sounds good. So <laughs> imagine how many more seasons we could have got out of McLeod's daughters if we'd started off with five of them. I think they probably ended up with something like that because these illegitimate children kept coming out of oh, yeah, the woodwork. But yeah. imagine the adventures, oh, yeah, you know, know. even just based on exactly. you Exactly. We had our own McLeod's daughters. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so what was the family name? So it was McClure and Daughters. McClure and Daughters. M-C-C-L-E-R-E. Yeah. So that was like, you know, when you have the sign out the front of a property, is that what it said? McClure and Daughters. Yes. I yeah. love that yeah. so much because often everywhere you see such and such, and like son. such and son and yeah. sons or whatever. Yeah, you do. So you? your dad was after the fifth yeah. daughter. He's like, all right, this is it. I've exactly. got five of them. <laughs> it's McClure and Daughters. Yeah. That actually, that has a really nice ring to it. Yeah, I know. It is. It's very, we had the sign up there for, I don't know, I think that, I think my sister, my sister and her family have now bought that station. It's still the same station, Trevelyan. But their the name's not McClure and Daughters anymore. It's I think it's Ashby and Sons, actually. There we go. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> so aside from mustering and driving in this little Suzuki and going reshooting and all the other things that come with being a station kid, what else did you like to do as a child? What kind of I guess being one of five girls, what were you like as a child? Because I, I know when you grow up in a big family, like you kind of have to have you got to sink or swim. Like oh yeah, you got to. Definitely fight for like, food yeah, on the table. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah, fighting for the that's funny. We say that because um even now to this very day I like chew my chops to the very last little scary kid. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing left of that chop. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, Oh my god. I'm like one of five girls, we had to be no <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was great. Like growing up, we so it's part we just got the air. So it's still it's got the air till Year seven, and we'd finish school like probably before lunch most most of the time. And then uh, we, I just love being active. So we were outside. We used to win sports days. We used to practice for sports days. We used to run, and Dad makes made us a high jump. So we used to practice doing that stuff. We had a pony, a uh, little Welsh mountain pony that we uh, used to ride around. It was funny. That was actually quite a fun. Did story. you all have to share the same? Yeah, pony? We had, yeah, we shared the same. Pony. That poor pony had some miles <laughs> on it. Jeez, <laughs> I know. The funniest thing about that pony is that um, Dad just got like it was quite reasonable price little pony from a gymkhana, and we're wondering why it was so naughty. Like it was just being naughty, just like pig rooted all the time, and it was just barely even broken in. I think, and then we realised that it was a rig, and so <laughs> <laughs> so we had to get someone in to like finish marking it. Yeah. So for people who may not be familiar with what a rig is, yeah. can you explain that? Yeah. So it still had he still he still had one testicle. So one testicle had like, obviously been cut out, and the other one was still left in there. So it's like basically half a stallion. <laughs> just explains why he had a bit of attitude, exactly. and to have five girls running his life. Yes, you know? exactly. Fair enough. He probably just had attitude from that alone. Definitely. When I want to ask you a bit more about this sports, you know, your dad building you a high jump. I've done one turn as a guffy and and then spent plenty of time out on stations. And I always wonder with kids, you know, we know with school of the air that, you know, kid, kids have gone on to be doctors, veterinarians. I know kids that have come out of school of the air doing amazing things. But I do always wonder about 
the the sports side of things. I remember as a guppy, like we had to do, I don't even remember what it was, but I just remember going out and throwing this ball back and forth with mm. this girl thinking like, oh, this is a bit rough. Like yeah. you're not getting to do, but I guess being one of five girls, you would have had other kids to play with. Yeah, we it- did. We did. And also we, so we'd often look at things like, say, the Olympic people. We were actually talking about this the other day. We actually never had swimming lessons, but I, I know how to do every stroke of, I know how to do butterfly breaststroke, breaststroke, freestyle. I was, wasn't ever taught it. So when we, uh, but I remember swimming in the pool and just having races and just pretending to be these, you know, watching Olympics and the pen, pretending to be the people that won the gold medals or whatever. And we just, I don't know how we taught ourselves. We just watch it. I think, I think it's repetition. You watch it on the TV and then you just do it. Like gymnastics, for example, mum brought home this video once from, uh, well, Kenya, cause we used to hire videos every now and then, you know, VHS. And she brought this movie home once and it was called Nadia. And it was the story of the famous Nadia Comaneci. She was the person in gymnastics where she got the first perfect 10 at the Olympics. She was the first person to get perfect 10. And the movie was about her life story and a lot of it included her doing gymnastics. And I just watched that movie on repeat over and over and over and over again. And I taught myself gymnastics from this video I loved it. And we had bar, dad made us a bar set. So I had one little bar that I could swing around. And then I had a beam that just like a plank of wood. And then obviously the grass to learn all the um, acrobatic stuff. And I taught myself a lot of gymnastics just from watching that video. So it's incredible what you can do just by, by watching something. And I, I think particularly incredible because you had a video on on VHS and I know growing up you didn't have 24-hour power so it's not like you were sitting down with an iPad connected to the internet watching all sorts of tutorials on YouTube like today you can kind of learn anything off the internet but this this wasn't the case. No definitely not we had no power so we had like an engine that dad used to start in the morning and then he'd turn it off at night and we couldn't hardly run anything off off the engine. The VHS that that we got was actually sent to us by we got a TV and a VHS from School of the Air yeah, they sent us one of them so we could watch their videos that they used to send us. <laughs> their yeah. lessons. Yeah, their lessons. Oh, I think I'll just put in this Nadia <laughs> movie know, exactly. instead. Are you doing social studies? Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so would that have been School of the Air over two-way radio as well? Yes, we had the two-way radio, but we didn't really, I think, I'm not sure whether they do lessons over that now, but when we did School of the Air, it was more an interaction than learning like all of our learning was out of books, yep. yeah, and the more on-the-air stuff was we learned how to play the guitar and the recorder over the air, and we actually did a whole play, like an Oliver play, like this whole production. We learned all our lines on air, and we went to Broken Hill, and we had one dress rehearsal, and then we played it the next night. And it was incredible. I remember watching it. They videoed it. I remember watching it. On, I don't, I don't, it's amazing. I just, some of the stuff that you can do, you, you limit yourself or you think you're limited to the things you do, but then – and, to, and then you see this stuff and you're like, how is that possible, you know, to do something like that? Broken Hill would have been the nearest big town. So you yeah. said you're closer to Wilcannia, but yeah. what is Wilcannia just a what, – what's there? Is it yes. just a servo or yeah, a, Wilcan- a little – Yeah. Wilcannia had a school, uh, Wilcannia Central School, and it had when – I, when, when I was there, a uh, grocery store and the post office. So we used to get our mail out delivered once a week from the mailman. Yeah. Um, and there wasn't – what else? Oh, there was a um, there was a couple of pubs, um, a swimming pool maybe. 
not that we ever went to the swimming pool, but yeah, there wasn't much. Yeah, not but groceries. Yeah, yeah. okay. And then the bigger centre was Broken Hill, yeah. which even though you compare that to bigger centres elsewhere in the country, it's not. No, yeah, but that was definitely the biggest place we used to go. Like, oh my god, this is so big when you go there. Yeah, and I guess being a typical station kid, so you're 280 k's out of Broken Hill. Endless opportunities when it comes to riding motorbikes, um, learning to use a gun, riding horses, yeah. working sheep and cattle, but not so much if you wanted to pop into town every week for your weekly swimming lesson, dance lesson, yes, exactly. art lesson, music lesson, all that no, kind of stuff. No. But it sounds like that didn't stop you because you, no, it didn't. Your dad all. built you the bars to learn to, to teach yourself gymnastics. Gymnastics, anyway, exactly. Yeah. And then I remember, I think I was in year six. Or year seven, and a lady came to Wakenya and started up gymnastics classes. And I remember we used to go in there once a week. And this was the, well, this was, well, so I was just a year before I went to boarding school, I must have been 10, 11 or something. Yeah. And we'd go there once a week and we'd do gymnastics. And that was when, and so she put us into competitions. So we went to our first competition and the mums made us all matching leotards. So we had these purple leotards of purple with a, a, a silver V, a silver V on them. That were gorgeous little numbers. Anyway, hilarious. We ended up going to Broken Hill and competed as a team of Volcania. And, and we took out half the medals. It was hilarious. <laughs> it was really funny. People were probably like, oh, we've just got some participation medals for these kids. You know, what could they know? I know. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. So with the gymnastics, as well, it was quite interesting, and I only just found I found this out years after the years after it happened. But we used to have mini schools when we used to be on the school of the air, and with this one particular mini school was in Tilpa, and the people that were going to go to the mini school stayed at our house before they went to the mini school, and they were gymnastics from the Canberra, like the Institute of Sport, that family, and they would stayed at a house, and they were watching me doing gymnastics, and they couldn't believe. That I taught myself all these gymnastics. I was back flipping and back salting and spinning around the bars. Like, you know, they were going, How did you learn all this stuff? And, and I was just like, Well, I just watched the video, the Nadia Comaneci video, and she's just out there practicing. I used to practice like all the time, just made up, make up my music and dance and everything to it. Anyway, so we had this whole mini school in Tilper and we were doing gymnastics and everything. And apparently at the end of it, they went to mum and dad and said, This girl needs to be at the Institute of Sport. And they said, you know, we can give her a place at the Institute of Sport for Gymnastics. And I was like, and I didn't know about it, obviously, until later on in life. And it's funny because I definitely wouldn't have gone anyway because I used to get so homesick. I couldn't even spend a night away from mum or dad at the best of times, never mind travelling to, to Canberra and pursuing gymnastics. So it's funny how things work and you never know the whole sliding door things and how things might be and changing, but I don't think I was ever supposed to possibly be an Olympic gymnast. I think that was maybe just a, a, a thing that might have, you know, sliding door thing, but yeah. But to be recognised for that skill level and, again, like coming back to ISI, you know, think, you know, of all the things that you might, of opportunities you may not get growing up on a station, like there are so many opportunities and certainly and and the curriculum is coming such a long way, but sports is something it's it's you know it's one thing to improve the curriculum that's delivered over school or the air classes and and kids keeping up with reading writing all that you know sorts of sort of stuff but it i think it would be a lot harder to 
to improve the the opportunities sports-wise unless you're on a horse sport. So to think that you're out in the middle of nowhere and you're being told that you're so good at something even when you're not having your lessons and and formal training, that's really cool. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. I think what you – again, when you put your mind to something or you're really passionate about something, then there's always a way to find – a way of doing something. That's what I always think. And if you're dedicated and determined enough to do something, then I think that anything's possible. Boarding school provided Carolyn with all the sporting opportunities that she could dream of with running and netball quickly becoming a favourite pastime. It was also where she first crossed paths with her future husband, Nick. Within a few years of finishing school, they were married and living in southern WA on a farm. It was here that Carolyn decided to get back into running and netball, more so for the social aspect than anything. When did everything start to change from doing like the sport for fun to getting quite competitive? Yeah, interesting. So that was, so 2007, my sister, my younger sister, Grace, rang up and said, oh, how about we go and do this Mark Webber challenge? And I was like, what is the Mark Webber challenge? And she's like, it's Tasmania. So we're going to be the only girl team and we're going to go to Tasmania and it's ran by the racing car driver, Mark Webber, and we have to go to Tasmania for five days and cover 500 kilometres uh, mountain bike riding, trekking, kayaking, and then they chuck in some, you know, abseiling and all these other crazy, one, you know, hand over hand across gorges and stuff. And I was like, right, okay, so what kind of <laughs> And like, you know, she didn't hardly any notice. And I was like, okay, well, I've been running eight Ks a day. Um, you know, uh, maybe I should get on my bike for like a couple of weeks beforehand so that I can, you know, maybe keep up on the bike. So I said, yeah, great. That sounds like a great thing to do. So off I went to Tasmania and the first day was ridiculous, like absolutely ridiculous. It took 10 hours to do the first day. And I was like, I thought that I had like broken my intercolostial muscles. I think that's what they said, like stretched them because I was breathing so much. And I was like, I cannot do this. This is ridiculous, Grace. Like we were both saying, we were both saying how ridiculous it was because the course was like even the other teams weren't even finishing because it was just ridiculous what they'd set out the, for everybody to do. What did you have to do on the first day? Was it oh, just yes, a bit of everything? Yeah, or? a bit of everything. So it's like a 50 kilometer bike ride but it took five hours because it was through mud and you had to lift your bike up over the over trees and it was up mountains and crazy like pedaling and then and trekking you know up in Tasmania so it's like cradle mountain like it's oh and you're at a different altitude as well yeah probably yeah I think it was just everything kayaking well in these great big tubs we were the only two girls like so we had no like we, we, we were like other teams, um, remember the other team had like Michael Klim and another guy. So you know what I mean? <laughs> you're competing against Olympians. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's really high level 
professional athletes there as well. So, and even they were like not even finishing very quickly either. So their race directors actually had to change the rest of the days because they were, they realized that that's it, everything too hard. And I said to Grace, I'm not doing any more days. This is it. Like we've got to catch the first plane home. I'm sorry. I'm not doing it anymore. And she's like, yeah, I agree. Let's go home. And so we're like, and then we realized that we couldn't because it was going to be too hard to get back. So we're like, I will just, they're changing the course. Let's just see how we go tomorrow. Anyway, we ended up perfectly fine and just getting, and I, and I was finding that myself was getting stronger and stronger as each day went along. So uh, every day I was just somehow getting stronger and didn't, and it was getting easier for me. And people were out on the, on the, on the rest of the competitors and stuff were saying, oh my God, do you do marathon running or something? Like, are you a, do you do lots of running? And I was like, um, no, I just run around the farm, you know, AKs every day. That's my, that's the thing that I do. And they're like, oh my God, you should go and do marathons and half marathons. Like you're built for running. You should be, you know, doing this competitively. And I was like, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Like I'm not running 21 Ks or 42 Ks. <laughs> like that's ridiculous. And, and did you have kids at this point as well? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So two young kids and yeah, cause Charlie was born in, 03 and Lily was born in 05. So Lily would have been two. Two. Yeah. And you've gone to Tassie. Yeah. For f- You're a non competitive sport person. I mean, yeah. local netball, yeah. cricket, whatnot. Yeah. But you're kind of going up against Michael Clement Co. <laughs> also, can I just ask, am I the only person that is struggling to make the connection between Mark Webber and what you're describing here of this really intense? Adventure race, isn't it? Yeah. 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 The connection, because I guess in my mind, no disrespect, but like you're sitting in a car. Like I know I'm sure they have to do some sort of fitness to be able to do what they do, but it just doesn't connect to me doing laps in a car and then doing like a 500k bike ride or sorry, 50k (laughs) bike ride and canoeing and, and climbing. Yes. He was really fit. Really fit. And he, he had a He's wasted per- behind a wheel. Oh, yeah, I know. He had different people coming in, I remember, so to go with him so as a pair. So he had different people coming in like every couple of days. Yeah, to change life. That seems a bit unfair. <laughs> I know, I know. Exactly. So I got to the end of that and I was okay, maybe I will try and do like a half marathon or something. And so I signed up for the Gold Coast half marathon, which is 21K run. And that was in July 2008. And I just followed a bit of a marathon, half, half marathon program that my sister gave to me to do. And I met with her, like my third sister, so Alice, I met with her over in the Gold Coast. And the idea was to sort of like run together and, and do the half marathon together. And so we started off and we're running along and she's like going, you are running really fast. She goes, I'm not going to. That's like something I would be. I'd be like, slow, slow down. Yeah, she's like, I'm not going to be able to keep up with you in this place. You just go ahead. Anyway, so I went ahead and I finished just under, no, just over 130. And the part that I'd had, unbeknownst to me, it's a thing to break 130 for the for like an hour and 30? Yeah, an hour and 30 minutes, yeah. To run 21 kilometres. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it's a, a thing to break it. Anyway, and I, got, I remember getting to the race and I was like, Oh my God. And like I had a K to go and I was like, Oh my God, I'm not going to break it. And I was like, you know, trying to go faster for the last K to, to break the 130, but I didn't anyway, but I did very well for my first half marathon. 
And I was like, oh, okay, maybe I can do this, this sort of stuff, long, longer distance. You know, I seem to be actually quite good at that. And if you're good at something, I don't know, it's human nature, isn't it, that you keep persisting it because you're like, oh, you know, why can I do some more of this? So, and that was kind of the start of the running thing in 2009. I did a team in an Ironman, which included the 21K run. So a friend did the, did the 1.9 kilometer swim. And then another friend did the 90K bike. And then I did the run. And that was in Geelong. And I kind of got a bug. And then I got a taste of the bug and I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe I might be able to do this by myself. So then in 2009, I did the Bustleton half Ironman. And that was my first one by myself. And it just went on from there. And then in, in 2000, so then in 2000, end, end of 2009, the full Ironman is in December. And that, that's double the distance. So that's a 3.8 kilometer swim. And then a 180 kilometer bike ride and then finished off with a marathon. So a 42.2 kilometer. And my sister, Alice, rang and said, I'm going to do the full Ironman in December in Bustleton because she was living in Sydney. And she said, do you want to come over and watch? And I was like, I'm not going all the way down to Bustleton to watch you. I might as well just do it myself. <laughs> I was like, well, and I was like, thinking back at that now, like, why would you do that? <laughs> and so I still had the two, like, two kids were still young. It was in the middle of harvest. So obviously couldn't, you know, go out or do anything by myself. So I got a coach and everything was indoors. So on the trainer, so I was on the bike indoor trainer so you put your bike the race the bike that you're going to race on on a stationary trainer and the weekends are normally like the long bikes and the long runs so I used to sit on the trainer for three hours one day and on Saturday and then run off on the treadmill for 18 k's and the next day I'd do like a four-hour bike ride and then in between that so that was like on the weekends and then in between that I would during the week obviously just get up super early before Anyone else was awake or the kids and just, and just trying to do that. Where do you find the time to do that? Because you're raising two kids and that's a full time job. Yes. But then you're actually also working full time on the farm. Yes. I don't know how you, you managed to do your three hours on the bike without the kids setting the house on fire or something, <laughs> you know, but, but even just the motivation and the energy to do it and the energy to get up early before everyone else is up so you can get some time in when you've still got to work a full day and then you know kids wake up during the night and whatever else is going like well you're just running on fumes I know I know I think about that now well now that I'm 46 and <laughs> resting more and doing everything and the kids I have no kids at home and I'm doing it now and I'm like oh now I have to rest and now I have to eat, eat this and blah, blah yeah when you when I was younger I was just driven I think and just like I loved it. So I got up, like, you know, when you're passionate about something, it was like, okay, I'm going to get up and I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And, and I just found it easy. Like it wasn't a chore. It was just a fun thing to do. And it was uh, something for me, I think as well. So I did the books on the farm as well. And I looked after the kids, but then this was something for me to just indulge in and just be laser focused on and just concentrate for, for my well-being, I think. That's really, yeah, I like hearing that. I think that's really important and it's good that you recognise that. Yeah. How do you go about training for these things when you're living kind of in the middle of nowhere? 
as well. Like I know you said you had a stationary bike, mm. but these are this is high level competition. Mm. This is incredibly demanding on your body. Yeah. And when you're doing the run, like anyway, say even something just like running, um, I'm guessing when you do the running in a, in a half Ironman or a, or a marathon, it's on bitumen mm. or something similar. But yes. when you're out on the farm, it's not like you can go and no. just run around on the bitumen. So no. h- how do you start training? So it's all on gravel tracks all around the farm. And I used to, well, when I used to have to go up early, I'd wear a head torch, run around in pitch black and take the dogs with me to scare off any. Let's <laughs> say, did you ever get frightened? Yeah, I did. Sometimes I just think, oh my god, what if there's like an alien out here? And I'm like, <laughs> I love that you're like, what if there's an alien out here? Yeah, I'm like, what if there's a murderer out I here? I know. I never actually thought about that because I just thought it's like we're creep. Like, yeah. I guess you could try and run away from them. I know exactly. You could I probably think. outrun them. That's probably com- a comforting yes, thought that yeah. if somebody was trying to get you, you'd, you know, you'd outrun them. <laughs> Like going first K, give them the first K, and then yeah, then they'd be like bent over with a stitch. Like, (laughs) fine, I'll find someone easier to kidnap. Exactly. Yeah. So further down, like when I started doing other more Ironmans, when it wasn't such a busy time, I'd go out on the Bitchman Road, but that was a twelve k drive of gravel. So I'd just put the bike in the back of the car and then drive twelve k's gravel road, and then take the bike out of the back, leave the car there, get the bike out of the back of the car, and then like I'd ride towards Karoo. For, you know, five or six hours or whatever, and then turn around and come back. But the funniest thing about that was when it was truck day. So when it's lime pits or when there's grain, then there's trucks like on the road all day. And they would be, I'd go the same day every week. So then they would know, you know, that I was going to, and then I could see, you know, they could see, oh, okay. <laughs> They'd be on their radios. She's on the road again. That crazy lady. <laughs> like I'd have all the lights, you know, flashing everywhere and the high vis, everything. So. Everybody could see me, but I could just imagine they'd give me a little toot toot when they before they passed me, like toot. I was like, oh, hi, how are you going? And the same truck used to pass like about three times a night because they go to the lampy back and getting the lampy back again. They're like, still out here. <laughs> Do you get actually? This is something I've always wanted to ask somebody. There's been times when I've been driving up, say, like the Stewart Highway uh, in the territory, and you get these people that are either on like road bikes or they're on those really bikes that are quite low to the ground and they're kind of oh, leaning back and yeah. those things. I always go into the other lane, but when you're passing them at, well, the speed limit in the mm. territory is 130, but yeah. say you're here at 110, I just imagine you get like a yes, gust of sucked. wind. Like, do yeah. you, is that yeah. hard when if people, you know, for anyone listening that isn't doing it, like how far in advance do people need to swap lanes and go and we slow down when we pass you just a little bit? Yeah. Like, does it slowing, make a big difference? Yeah, slowing down makes a massive difference. When the wind's going the wrong way and those trucks are going past you, they literally suck you up. They just go, the whole bike just goes. So when the wind is going that particular direction, I just completely just stop and just get off the road like so I don't get, you know, it's completely blown off the side of the road. But normally uh, they're pretty good. Would you have known about that before before the first time it happened or was it just one day you're out there riding and you're like, oh, my God, what's happening? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Definitely, yes. And then you get a bit of a scare and and you're like, whoa, okay, that was a bit scary. Like you have to hold on like to brace yourself. But in hindsight, it's probably really good because in Hawaii, the winds can be absolutely treacherous. Like sometimes I've done training rides in Hawaii and they're crazy. You're going up, you go up the big hill in Tarbe and then you come back down the hill and the crosswinds 
are ridiculous. So your bike's just moving like five inches across the road and you're going and it's just blowing people. And in races, fortunately enough, um, when that three times I've done it, they weren't, it wasn't particularly crosswind bad that the days that I race, but other people on other days have like been literally blown off their bikes, like literally blown from the, cause they go, you go down and you hit these gully winds where the, there's no trees and yet you, you don't, there's no warning. You just sort of hit them and just goes, and then the wind blows them off. So it can be quite scary. It must just hurt your arms and your wrists to try and. Yeah, with all that force you're yeah. having to use to keep your bike steady but, yeah. on the path you want mm. it to be on. I'm not going to lie, the analogy that's just popped into my head is when you get one of those um, shopping trolleys with the bad wheel oh, yeah. and you're walking around <laughs> yeah, the shop so you're using your whole yeah. body to try and keep that trolley yeah, straight. that's exactly what you have to do. So you've got to lean into it. You've got to, the idea is to try and stay as relaxed as what, as you can on the bike, but lean and low and get out of, sort of get out of it as much as you can, but lean into it. So your, boy, your bike sort of, you know, it's trying to push your bike one way and you're leaning the other way to counteract the How long the were gust. these bike rides again in an Ironman? 180 k's. Imagine pushing yeah. a buggered shopping trolley for 180 <laughs> kilometres. You'd be exhausted and sore for yeah. ages. And so Hawaii, okay, yeah. um, that's a little bit different than being in the middle of nowhere or popping over to the Gold Coast. Oh, I love that. Popping over to the Gold Coast <laughs> yeah. or Geelong or Bunbury. Yeah. How did all this come about? Yeah. How do you get to swing a trip to Hawaii? Yeah. So the Ironman World Championships is held in Hawaii every year in October. And so to get to Hawaii World Champs, you have to qualify and you have to qualify. You need to go in an Ironman and typically you need to win your age group or, you know, come at least top two in your age group in that race and that will qualify you for. So from anywhere in the world? For anywhere in there, any, any races that in the world, across the world, there's, oh, there's, there's races everywhere all across the world. So in, in Australia, there's Cairns. There used to be Melbourne. There's Bustleton. There's Port Macquarie. And they're the, the races that you can qualify for, for Hawaii. And Is, then all over the world, there's others. Do each of those locations only have one race a year? Yes, correct. So there's at the moment, what, three or four chances a year to qualify for the worlds correct. in Australia? In Australia, there's three chances because Melbourne's no longer. But, yeah, so it's Port Macquarie, Cairns and Bustleton. And so everything's tied together sort of, I guess, like if you're playing, I don't know, some other, I want to say, Olympic-level sport where, you you know, your results are all kind of like like, like whatever's going on in Hawaii, they're kind of like the, like the mother body, the, the mother organisation is kind of getting all the results from all around the world. Like it's one kind of big association. Yes, correct, Ironman. And that's basically – People do that. That's their whole life depends on it, is trying to qualify for Hawaii. And that's their dream, like to go to the pinnacle. It's like the Wimbledon of tennis is trying to qualify for Hawaii World Championships. I feel like yeah. you should be going to Hawaii for a holiday yeah. to relax after <laughs> all the Ironman stuff you've been doing, not going to Hawaii to do another Ironman. <laughs> but okay, okay. Yes. So you have to come first or second in your age group. Yes. Now, Something I do want to ask you about this. So this is an international sport, basically three sports because you're running, swimming and bike riding. yeah. How do you afford all of this? Mm. I think we've all heard of Ironman as a sport and we've seen some people on like the covers of the Nutrigrain box. All right. Now, quick interruption. 
you would have just heard me make reference to the iron men and women that we see on the Nutrigrain boxes. That's actually a different sport to what Carolyn competes in. And it wasn't until I was editing the episode and looking something up and then I asked her and I realised that, yeah, there's two different Ironman sports. So you have what we see on the Nutrigrain box is Ironman Surf Lifesaving and that's uh, three events in the water and a run on the beach. What Carolyn does is Ironman Triathlon. So very, very different, significantly longer it's a swim, a run and a bike ride. And yeah, go and have a look and Google it for yourselves. It is very, very different. But that's probably about as far as it's gone. It's I, I can't imagine that you're getting um, a salary like AFL players or no. something like that, but it seems like you're it's just as, if not more intense and as much of a commitment and and as high calibre of a sport. Yeah, I know, definitely. It's starting to get more recognition now. But, yeah, you're right, as an age grouper, you don't get – because it's professional. So there's professional athletes that do it for a living and they get sponsors from people all, all over the world to to sponsor them, bike sponsors and nutrition and and apparel and, you know, God knows what else. So they get sponsored to go – to do these races, but as an age group, but yeah, correct. You have to, it's, it's all self-funded unless you get your own sponsors along the way as well. Fortunately for uh, me, I've had little help outs when I've gone to the world champs in Hawaii and companies that we use in the farm have actually helped fund my, well, help fund some of my to get to Hawaii and one of them, um, yeah, so they're different and it's hilarious because people are like, I can't believe AFGRI, so AFGRI, John Deere, tractor company. <laughs> they're like, I think I'm the only person in the sport of Ireland that's sponsored by a tractor company. <laughs> Such a farm girl, jeez. <laughs> I've actually got AFGRI sticker on my bike. <laughs> Spot the country kid in the race. <laughs> so it's pretty funny. Um, yeah, and it's funny because Iron Man actually put me up. Iron Man did a story on me in Cairns for being the, you know, the how I train in such crazy conditions and swimming a dam and all of this stuff. And in the World Champs in Hawaii, they actually put me on the panel for the Asia Pacific region as one of their ambassador athletes and were saying how I was like the crocodile Dundee and <laughs> <laughs> how I train on Vegemite sandwiches. And <laughs> it was pretty funny. I talked it up, you know how the Americans do, yeah. but yeah, it was pretty funny. So the the people that do Ironman full-time, do they have to qualify to go yes. to the Hawaii? Yeah, everybody does. Okay, so would yeah. they, and they'd be doing, okay, so they're, I'm just trying to, I'm just like, this isn't fair, like, is it just because they're younger and, I don't know, yeah, more marketable or yes. whatever, they're just kind of getting, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, that seems a bit, mm. And they're also, if they're doing this full-time professionally, which I feel like oh, yeah. you could be as well, uh, obviously probably state-of-the-art training facilities, oh, yes. and coaches, so they nutrition. Like, yeah, totally. Like take testing, like all the aero. There's this year at Hawaii, they had these special, the pros had all these special hats to keep them warm. Like they were like these solar, I don't know, they look really weird, but like these solar things, cap things on their heads to keep them cool. And they were like $400 or something ridiculous. Wow. I know. So, yeah, definitely. And, they're, yeah, the latest cons of everything 
Mm. And you're out here just doing this all off your own back. Yeah. And so yep. speaking of, um, you know, of uh, things that you have to do not only off your own back and out of your own wallet, but yeah. uh, you're certainly not rolling into some institute of sport to be doing all your training and no. testing and stuff. No, exactly. Tell me about training for a world championship event yeah. on a farm. Yeah, on in any other. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which for anyone is a couple of hours north of Perth. Yeah, three hours north of Perth. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and for, I guess, for anyone that is listening, I know that we've had people on the podcast here that have got farms in any other and competed in any other, but in camp drafting. When I think yeah. of any other, I think of any other camp draft. Yes. I do not think of no, home man ground. Man. Yeah. No. Yeah. So <laughs> exactly. how do you train for yeah. an Ironman on a farm? Um, well, being innovative, I think. Aside to try not to get run over by road yeah, trains when you road go for bike rides. Yeah, exactly. Well, the swimming part of it, we'll start with the swim because that's the first uh, part of the Ironman. And the any other has actually got a swimming pool, but it's only open from November to March. So that's a 30k drive to get to Inyaba. And so when that's open, that's fine. I can go in there a couple of days, you know, a couple of times a week and, and go swimming. And when the kids were little, actually, I used to go in there every afternoon and I used to teach the kids swimming and we'd do swim squads with the kids from Inyaba for like an hour. And then I'd do, well, I'd do my swimming before actually. And then we'd do the swim squad for the, for the kids. And so that was a fun thing to do and helping out the kids and stuff as well. So yeah. How many laps of a pool do you have to do to train for a, an Ironman? Like how many, how long is the swim? So it's 3.8 kilometers. Yeah. And so the any other pool is a 25 meter pool. And from memory, I think it's 180 laps of a 25 meter pool. Yeah. Someone so, out there can so do it on their iPhone. That's yeah, right. But I yeah, trust you. Yeah. It's, got, it's yeah. close enough. It's, yeah. Something like that. Okay. Yeah. So then, yeah. So that's fine. I can swim there. But so then would you the do 180 closed. laps? Oh, yeah. So yeah. I'd do, yeah. I'd try to do some, well, depending. Sometimes I try and do 5K swim. So you'd swim like a. Even more. Even more. <laughs> even more. Okay. Here's a question. How do you keep count? Oh, and what happens if you lose count? Lose yeah. count. The fun, everyone asks me that. And I actually love counting laps I think I must have that mind where I can just switch off and just count because like when I'm so when I'm doing laps I'm like going one 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 and then go back two 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 three 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 in my head and then I get to like 20 and then that's 500 meters so that's I count that's 500 meters and then get to another 20 and that's another 500 meters oh so you only count to 20 and then you start again yeah sometimes if I'm feeling all right better (laughs) I'm count to 30 than you normally it's just and then what do you how do you Remember, like you say, you get up to a kilometre and a half. If you're like, oh, am I in my third lot of 20s or my <laughs> fourth lot of 20s? No. Like- Normally, I don't just continuously swim, like for the whole swim. So yeah. I'll do like a 500 warm-up and then I might do like 2100s. So uh, okay. do you know what I mean? So yeah. I do fast, 2100s, and then I have a 10-second rest in between between each hundred and so oh, it's such a generous rest yeah. jeez <laughs> probably pull out your phone you know scroll on facebook in the middle of that like sip on my time yeah, like. exactly so that's all yeah but then yeah so then the pool closes in march so then i'm like before i found the dam on the farm i was like okay how am i going to do this how am i going to swim train and so um my husband made, made this swim tether thing that i used to lay on and connect cords to the veranda and just use the cords as resistance training to sort of keep swimming but then i found a dam on the farm wait wait i yes. want to go back to this thing first sorry <laughs> i'm like well, don't don't glaze over this because yeah. i find this so you're what were you laying on so it's like a bench like you just made me a bench that you 
Do you put lots of padding on it and make it nice and comfortable? <laughs> it was pretty much it. Because when you're in the yeah. water, like you're kind of like yeah, floating. Yeah, 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 it's like quite comfortable. Yeah, it is quite comfortable. You're just laying on a hard yeah. wooden plank. Yeah, and he oh. put carpet on it, like this carpet thing on it. So it wasn't that. Would you bad. get like bruised and stuff? I thought I used to get like a little bit of a thing on my chin, like a oh. you know, like a carpet burn on my chin. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that used to work though because it kept the muscles. Is that something muscles. that? Do you think there's any? professional athletes in the world using like a more bougie version of that oh, yeah, somewhere. Definitely. That, so that is yeah. a thing some people use yeah. instead of a pool. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. For like a dry land training thing. Yeah, my version of it. So yeah, and I did try the whole swimming in the pool because we've got like a little pool. You would never do like ten thousand laps. Oh <laughs> well, yeah. Or like a bungee cord. But it pulls on your hips and it sinks you down and it's just really I find it really awkward swimming on it. Just really uncomfortable. So I was, yeah, I'd either just do the swim training thing on the cords or, uh, and then I just got rid of everything. When I found the dam on the farm that was, that I could swim in, and that was, um, I was like, oh, hallelujah. Right, talk to me about this dam. Yeah. How big, how deep. Yeah. I'll be like, when I found the dam on the farm, I'm like, well, if you'd been on the farm, yeah. you probably I know. knew it was there. <laughs> yeah, I, I just feel like, I just, when you say, I found the, I, I found the dam, I'm just getting this vision of you like no. walking over a hill and then be like, <laughs> Look, Honey, look what I just found. <laughs> I wondered how Funny. the cows were staying alive. <laughs> the thing is, we've got so many dams on the farm and and then none of them were big enough to swim in. And then this particular one, they built clay, clay spreading. So they actually dug it out like a dam, do you know what I mean? So for you to use for clay spreading. So it wasn't always there. And then this particular year, it filled up, it filled up with water. So that's how I... Found it. Oh, okay, yeah. fair enough. Fair Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Okay. That sounds better, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, you did find it. <laughs> so, so yeah, when it's full, it's 120 metres long. Wow, yeah. okay. So it's a good distance. So when it's you, empty, it's like 70 metres. So How deep do you reckon it is? Oh, I reckon you fit a tractor in there, like a big John Deere tractor. Okay. Yeah, so when it's full. Yeah, mm. so when it's full and you're doing 120 metres, you can't just get like halfway in and be like, I'm tired. Like yeah. you got to keep going to the other end, otherwise yeah. you've kind of got nowhere to <laughs> yeah, stop. Exactly. Yeah, you got no safety left. <laughs> exactly. When I first swim in it, I was like, "Oh, this is a bit weird." And I was like, mm, don't. "Like just like swimming in there by yourself." You know, you all those stories about I don't know people, I don't know having troubling dams. Anyway, I had a wetsuit on. I'm just imagining, like, I feel like everyone has marin or yabbies or something. Yeah. That, that's what I think of when I think yeah. of farm dams. Yeah. And I do not like swimming with no. um, other yabbies? wildlife no. or anything, especially no. with claws. No. Is there anything in that dam? No. I don't – there's no yabbies in there. We've got yabbies in all the other dams but not in that dam. Oh. So that's actually – And do yabbies float or do they sit down no, the bottom? bottom? Okay. Well, at mm. least you're not going to yeah. be – if it's quite no. full, you're not going to no, be anywhere near them. Right. It's only the ducks. Oh. And I had a big swan in there one day. <laughs> really? <laughs> a big What's the swan? swan? Just like. It's like, what is that doing out here? Was it a just big like, black oh, swan? Excuse me, this is mine. I know. Oh, I guess yeah. you'd probably have to be careful not to swallow any of the water, though, if you've got wildlife and <clears throat> little duck And poopies. like sheep poo. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. Further down the track, I wore one of those nose uh, plug things because I used yeah. to find when I got out of the dam, I'd get like a bit nasally and yeah. sinusy and stuff. So as soon as I started wearing that. Um, that was fine. But it's funny now because the dam's actually looking not great at all. It's quite empty and it's a body of water that doesn't have like, you know, it's not like it's yes, spring exactly. or anything. So it's not exactly. being refreshed. It no. would get quite stale. Yes, so you can't swim in it in summer because oh. it gets that. What's it called? Meningitis. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So do you, 
does is it lately I guess it also really depends on the season you've had. Like if we yes. don't have enough rainfall, that's exactly so it's not only the rain you're not only looking at bomb going, All right, we need enough rain for these yeah. crops. You're like, yeah. enough rain, otherwise I can't train. I'm like, is the dam running? Is the dam full? Did we get enough rain for How, And also, so the pools open November to March, you said. So yes. you're swimming like March to November. So you're right in the middle of winter, winter as well. Freezing. How cold is this? Yeah. So cold. It's ridiculous. So like nine degrees. And I've like put the, you know, those head things on, gloves, beanies, wetsuit, thermal thing. And I just have to get in there and swim like for 45 minutes an hour. Do you I have anyone out. come and check on you? No, like, I know. No, but I get out and I can't move my face. I can't even move anything. I can't talk. I'm just none. thinking. Yeah, well, I know. It could be quite dangerous. Well, yeah. I know of a few. There's one particular waterhole just out of Alice Springs and it's quite – There's there's been a few people die there because they swim out to the middle. Mm. And I don't even know if it's that deep, but they swim out to the middle and, like, it gets really cold mm. and something happens and they basically just, like, sink. sink like, mm. like mm. So I'm just thinking if the dam water is quite mm. cold, like – People, mm. you know, I know, yeah, and and sometimes you feel like hypothermia. We get, you know, yeah. You know. So yeah, winter's not a great time to swim, but you just sort of mm, suck it up and just. You need to put like a little heater, farm bot like tank yeah. monitor, video camera thing, so someone can be at the yeah, house just watching you, you swim yeah. in case you just sink. I yeah. text before I get in and say, "Swim in the dam." Yeah, well, at least it's not hands. We know. Look at me planning. I'm so morbid. Sorry. (laughs) Wow. So swimming in a dam. There you go. I bet you're the only person in Hawaii who has to swim in a dam. Definitely. All right. So so it's swimming and then is it biking? Bike. Yeah. Oh, I feel like you should finish. I feel like biking is a little bit easier than running. So I feel like biking should be what you finish on in that race because it's just like a little bit nicer. But okay, cool. They're biking seconds. Look at me just trying to change the order of Ironman. Exactly. So then the biking's next. So because that's probably the biggest portion of the race, so that's 180K, so that's the longest part of it. Yeah, lots of the bike riding is done obviously around the farm and I can use the mountain bike for sort of cross training around the farm to sort of get off the trainer every now and then, but because you race on your time trial bike, you probably I, I try to spend most of the time on that. So either on the trainer is mostly what I do, but then I always try and do my long ride on the road because that's like a six hour bike ride, you know, six hour bike ride, five or six hour bike ride, and so it's just more fun. I try and con other people to come bike riding with me. Just even if they do two or three hours with me, it just breaks up the monotony of going bike riding. Are these other people that are doing Ironman or just regular people? Um, just people that might like going bike riding just um, for a two or three hour bike ride. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Next just- time I get an invitation from you to hang out, I'll be a bit wary about that. <laughs> exactly. So, yes. And so one particular day I remember riding with a guy, I was like, oh, well, it's probably, would have been 45 degrees or something, really, and, and windy. And it was like a long bike ride. And we were riding along and he was getting so hot and he was like, do you end up taking his helmet off and leaning, leaving it on one of the trees because he was just boiling. And then we got to like a part of it, oh, probably, probably like an hour in or so. And he's like, oh my God. And he's like, I can't go any, any, any further. I'm just like, can I just like, I'm just going to wait here under this like tree. And you can just go for an hour there and and back again. And um, I'll just wait here and just have a little nap and wait for you on the way back because it's too hot for me. And then on the way back, yeah, sure enough, there he was waiting, waiting for me ready. 
ready to go again. That so guy he- is my spirit animal. <laughs> that is exactly what I would have done. Yeah. So it's good. But they also have like neighbours. Um, when I used to go to the Kuru- like towards Kuru and back and those really hot days and they'd leave eskies out with like ice cold water in them and that was like heaven, you know, like on a 40 degree day and you're stopping and it's like ice cold water and you're like, oh, thank God. That is, a, that is so nice. So nice. I know. You text them like the night before, I'm going for a bike ride. Can you leave some water out, please? Because there's no places to get water, obviously. Yeah, and uh, there's only so much you can carry yeah, with you. Yeah, there's only so much. Yeah, that's another funny thing. So one of the guys that I go bike riding because I can have, I think I've got enough for one on the front and then two in the middle and then one on the back. And then there's actually a, a part of the bike that carries water, but I don't use it. And I remember one day rocking up and had all these waters on the bike and he's like, Oh my God, your bike's like a five firefighting machine because it's still that much water on it. You're just riding around town waiting to find a little spot fires, pull out a water bottle. <laughs> it's like, why do you carry so much water? You've got like seven kilograms of water on your bike. Well, at least it would feel lighter as you drink know, more and more exactly. and the bike's getting lighter the push. Yeah, and it's like actually good strength training, I reckon. For a sport that has so much involved in it, and I also wonder, I guess I want to ask you this first, I don't know if you know the answer. I don't know if anybody knows, but who comes up with, you know, the the distances for this that you've got to do the three point eight swim, one hundred eighty k bike ride, and forty two kilometer run. Run. Like I wonder where those numbers have come from. I know that's a really good question because that is a huge toll to put on a body. Yeah. To do in one day. Yeah, 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 and in one day, but in. And then to do, it you know, especially those people that, yeah, mm-hmm. and to people that are doing this like full yeah. time, like that is a huge yeah. thing to put your body through. Yeah. It started in Hawaii and they just, it was just people like mates and they were just like, let's try and do, I think they were trying to. F- are they just having a pissing contest? Yeah, I think they were. <laughs> and they were just trying to find out who was like the, what, who was like the strongest one or what was the hardest thing to do or something like that. I can't really remember. I remember reading something about it and they, I think there's only like three people that did it. To start with, and they just and it just grew and grew and grew and it's yeah, just it's become, incredibly, yeah. incredibly. I uh, well, I imagine incredibly taxing. Like, yeah. what has it been like for you and your body? Like, I know there must be so much that goes into staying in shape, but after you finish a race, like, can you move? Do you have to sit in an ice bath for a week? Well, like, what yeah. does it do to you? Yeah, depend. Like, I think the hotter of the race, the worse the pull up, and yeah, like even. You can finish the race if you go hard, like especially if you go hard in the run uh, the next day trying to walk or even the next day after the next day, so two days after, going downstairs, impossible. Like you've got to go back, sit your legs. Your quads are just smashed, like they're completely smashed. And I remember after <laughs> I was trying to like a week up, my very first one was the worst. So, And I remember trying to get on the bike after and I, my legs wouldn't even move around. So I actually had to push like hand push my legs so that actually get my legs moving on the bike again after the Ironman because I just needed to try and loosen them off a bit, just like try and get them moving. And I remember physically having to push the push my legs down. So, yeah, you can definitely – it's got better definitely over the time you don't pull up probably as bad as the very first one. I was never doing another one, by the way, after my very first one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that old chestnut. Yeah, that old chestnut. What does it do to your body – over time, you know, I always think about, um, say, rodeo riders, like bull riders, are usually yes. like half broken and all mangled by the age of 30. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, what are other sports and people, you know, it can kind of really 
while you're this athlete that's in mm. his peak of, of fitness and in your prime, it kind of also reduces your longevity a lot. But mm. you're in your mid-40s and you're still going strong. But Or I mm. guess that's an assumption I've made. Like how does it, mm. how has it affected you over the last 10 years or more that you've <clears> been doing these? Um, definitely. So the end of 2017, I did three Ironman in six months. So Cairns, then Hawaii, then Busselton, and then had quite bad nausea in Hawaii when I was on a drip for two hours. And like post the race? Post race, they put me on a drip for two, two lots of drips actually. And I was in the recovery for two hours because I just had this, no, I thought I was going to die. This nausea was horrendous. What do they think was caused? That's, I guess that's not something I would associate with that kind of sport. I know. Like- well, I think it's possibly like just your body trying to cope with that, like your kidneys and, you know, liver and everything, wow. just trying to cope with what you've done to it. And I think just the stress of, of everything that you put on it. And then I decided that'll be a good idea to, bus- to do Busselton, which was only a well, six weeks after, I think. And so I basically put myself in a big hole at the end of 2017. And then 2018, I continued to race, but I was doing halves, but I was just not right. I was getting nausea in, in just in the halves, like in the short. And I remember I got like a bladder infection before one race. And just my body was just giving me signs of just not being like 100%. 100%. And then at the end of 2018, I started getting this fatiguing thing down the side of my leg and then I sort of kept on training and didn't think much of it. Then I sort of felt it in the swim and then and I could feel it running and then it sort of went to this burning pain in, in my sort of SI joint back, like sort of right side. And I was like, what is going on? And it was just so painful. I had MRIs and bone scans and like every scan imaginable. I had like three, they gave me three cortisone shots in like, space of three months or something which didn't do anything actually it gave me what felt like a bladder infection because of all the cortisone but it wasn't a bladder infection so it just must have been the side effect yeah side effect of the cortisone so i was like okay no more cortisone and then so i just still i said um i was just like i can't actually something about this because if the you know the doctors and whatever can't can't heal me then i'm gonna heal myself so i'm sorry i just want to clarify so it was like a a pain down your leg and into your lower back that yeah. would happen just when you were training? Um, so it started as like, yeah, fatiguing just down the side of my RTB band. It didn't go all the way down my leg. It was just when I started, when I was running, it just f- started fatiguing down the side of my leg. So when you say fatiguing, leg. is that like? Like it was just like. Dragging? Yeah, like, 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 yeah, like I'd done like 42 Ks and I'd done like a K. Oh, yeah. how bizarre. Like, and yeah. how, what a bizarre feeling to have that in just one leg. Yes. I know. Like, was exactly. it, does it kind of feel like, like when you've got a dead leg and you're kind of like limping? Like? Yeah, it was kind of like, um, you know, when you do like 50,000 women squats and it, that, that. I don't because I want, I don't do that, <laughs> don't but I, I've done five <laughs> squats and I imagine it feels about the same. So. Yeah. yeah. So like that, just, yeah. Like oh. you've done like, yeah. And just down the side of, of one leg. Yeah. yeah. So it's obviously like a. That's going to cause you a fair bit of anxiety as well, not just because they didn't know what's wrong, but yeah. like your body is your tool in yeah, this exactly. sport. Like you, yeah. you can't compensate with anything else. No. Like you need your body in all three of those events. You can't go, oh, I've, you know, not, I can't do swimming for a, a little while. I'll yes. just go focus on the bike running. Like you need your leg. Yes. In. I need my leg. Exactly. And, I, and it was affecting me. Yeah. I could feel it running. And then I could, then I could feel it in my sort of hip area when I s- swam. And then bike riding, sometimes I could feel it as well. Kind of got progressively worse until I got went straight. Then, and then that burning thing just went into my back and it was just like, I like that. 
Yeah. And so, yeah, it was. And conventional medicine wasn't providing any answers, which is only going to increase the anxiety. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, nothing. And so I was just like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And it's funny, though, because the universe was just like showing me different, you know, little breadcrumbs of things to try. Like I remember I went into a health food shop and like for like anxiety, it was like a natural anxiety thing because I was getting, you know, a bit like anxious and stuff. So I was wanting to like calm myself down a little bit. And so and I didn't end up getting any herbal thing or anything, but they, the girl in there said, um, try neurophysics. This, and this, they were, there was this place in Perth called Chaotic Energy. And it was, um, you go there and you do this whole three day of intense, four days, I think maybe of intense, um, tremor therapy and mind sort of mind, uh, mindful exercises on gym equipment that you'd normally see in a gym, but it was like you did them. You did all the gym exercise that you do, like the pec things and whatever, which I'd never, never been in a gym before anyway, so I didn't really know what I was doing. But you had to do it with your eyes closed on these machines and like eight, took eight seconds to do the exercise. So mindfully engaging every single muscle. And then while you're doing that, it gets to a point when your body starts like shaking and then you sort of like let that go and your whole body just like goes into this sort of tremor. Like you look like you're having a fit sort of thing. And I was like doing that and just my whole body was just literally like whole head just like shakes and, and that was, yeah, that was four days of, of really intense tremor. And I remember the first day when Nick came to pick me up and Lily, and they said that you can have effects after it, like, you know, you could cry or whatever. I went into like hysterical laughing, like hysterical. That's not what I was expecting you to say. No, like I was on some hallucination drug thing and I could not stop laughing like it was they've got videos of of me doing it and I was just for like about for at least five minutes just energy just energy releasing wow yeah so so I started with yeah how cool though I love all those Mm. sorts of different things like um that and you know what they might be a bit weird and like woo woo now yeah I know 10 years and it'll be the norm it will be the norm like I mean that's what I mean sure people even though it's like hundreds or thousands of years old, people would have been like, acupuncture, I'm not stabbing myself with things. Yeah, but, you know. exactly. So that's what I started with. And then I did that sort of like for a whole year and then you did my whole own tremor therapy. And I still can do it now. I just just shake. And, yeah, it's a massive release. of. So I started with that. And then as that opened up, as I did that, it opened up more doors and more doors. And then I found other things to do like, you know, tapping and um and Reiki and sound healing and, um, you know, shaman healing where you just do this breath work and you end up dancing around doing like corroboree sort of things. Like, you know, you're like, what the hell, where did I just go? And, um, but then more, um, sort of mainstream stuff or more sort of half mainstream, like your acupuncture and your Bowen therapy and kinesiology, kinesiology, massive. So yeah. kinesiology was, yeah, is like my go to. And the universe just ran me into this amazing person called, I'm going to cry, um, Sue Spivey and is very much mainstream, but also very, um, I don't know, you don't know this. Holistic? Yes. Yeah. 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 Which I know like for some people that's quite woo-woo, but again, I think you just give it a few more years and it will be the mainstream. Totally. But we're learning so much about the body all the time and particularly the mind. Oh, yeah, definitely. And the brain and how everything works and we're just learning so much more all the time that, yeah, it might seem weird now. but because we're all energy. At the end of the day, we're all energy. And that's how kinesiology works through 
And so you, you, you've been able to heal. Like, do you still experience that injury? Yeah. Like, because that injury kind of pulled you up. Yeah, it did. Like, like, yeah, pretty much stopped me from doing everything. I couldn't you, do anything. You didn't do an Ironman, another Ironman for, for five. Well, 2017 was my last one. And then my comeback was this year in 2023. So six years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, um, did it take all that time to, yeah, and I think to believe in myself again too, as well. Like you say about the mind thing, and a lot of it, I a lot of a lot of it, I had to believe that I actually um, was capable of doing it again as well. And just the whole a, a lot of the a lot of the clearing thing with me and kinesiology. I know that you know it, it, it's body testing, so they test your body, and and what comes up comes up, and then you clear it through through sound or acupuncture or whatever method that you need to clear it through. And a lot of the stuff that came up, and a lot of the time emotions come up. That So I know now that my injury was more like a energy thing that was emotional, like emotions attached to it. So a lot of a lot of it was almost like that, you know, the worthiness, yeah. you know, and now I'm not good enough. And my body was stopping me from competing again because it's like no matter what I do, it's not, not good, good enough. enough for you. Exactly. So mm. I'm going to stop. This is well, this is my version. It reminds of it. me of like the the chakras. Is that what they say? Yeah, like, like, oh, yeah chakras. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So everything with me is my sacral chakra, which is the hip area, basically, and that's the normally my throat and sacral chakra is what comes up when I when I'm in kinesiology that needs to be needs to be healed. So yeah, it's funny how how it all works. But now I get everything, and it's funny because it's. And they say everything happens to, you know, things happen, yeah, for you, not yeah, to you. To you. Uh, that's like a Tony yeah. Robbins quote. Yeah, it's yeah. so good, isn't it? Because yeah. you're like going, why? And you think, why? I mean, when you get something like this, you're like, why me? You know, go away. You're annoying me, whatever. But it's like it's there. Your body's talking to you. Like it's saying you need to listen to this. You need to change the way that you're thinking. And so you live a better life basically is, you know, because it's like not healthy to to be like that. And then you grow as a person. Well, it can be very easy to just you go with the flow, and then or well, you start something, and then you just keep doing it like out of, um, you know, uh, yeah. like routine yeah, or pattern exactly. or whatever it is. Yeah, you and if stuck. you never actually stop and think and look at things, and you just keep going yes. and doing it, then like, yeah, then that, I guess that's how. You, I just find it really interesting how, um, like the the stress this can put on your body and the the outcomes you can have, like. You would think, um, if you're doing like, if you're an athlete and you're doing such a healthy sport or whatever, mm. that that wouldn't happen. It'd be more like if you were binging Maccas every weekend and snorting drugs up, you know, something that's kind of what mm. would cause your body to have a breakdown. Yeah. But by going too extreme the other way, you oh, can exactly. also cause, obviously, if you've got to choose one or the other, I'm going to say yes. do the Iron Man route. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't do the Maccas and yeah. Coke. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. But, but they've all got their own. And a lot of, um, athletes have, um, found it's been since doing kinesiology and since working with Sue, she said a lot of the high achieving athletes have got the same things, the same things popping up when they're doing it that they're not good enough. They have to prove themselves. That's sort of either the whole proving yourself yeah. seems to pop up with them all the but time, the funny, which is a striving thing. The funny thing with proving yourself though is like who set this. Who said that if you can run forty-two kilometers in this time, then you're worthy? Yes, you're exactly. Good. Like who? Be, what if, what yes. if somebody else was like, "Well, actually, it's thirty kilometers." Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, what if it's forty-two one kilometers, kilometer. but in mm. in four hours instead of one and a half yes. or whatever? Like yeah. who? Like I know. who set this exactly. up? So whose standards are we trying exactly. to meet? Exactly. Exactly. It's like, what you put in your head. Yeah. Because and I've learnt all through 
you know, this whole journey thing that it doesn't matter. Like it's all like, it doesn't matter if you do a, an Ironman in eight hours or if you do it in 10 hours, you're still going to be the most amazing person that you are anyway. Yeah. Like it's not about time and you can always be better. This is what I think. Yeah. You can always be better. You can always be, even like the Olympians that win and they break the world record, they can still always do better. So if you're constantly striving to be, Oh, I'm going to need to be better. I need to be better. I need to be better. Or I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when. I'll when. be happy when. Then you're never going to be happy. I think when you switch that mindset to competing against yourself instead of competing against other people. Yes, exactly. Because like when you say, um, you know, Olympians thinking I can always be better. I often think about this with athletes that, um, well, you might be like, you know, when someone's the world champion, this, I'm like, well, you might be, but there might be someone out there who is just as talented and mm. capable as you, but they don't have the exactly. funding to get to the the competitions or whatever to exactly. get to your level. So, are you the best in exactly. your, You're the best in that competition. Exactly. Like, but also, who cares? Exactly. Like, who does? And, and I think yeah. that really translates to any part of life, whether – and I, I find this talking to people, um, particularly like young people working out on stations that seem to need to keep up with the Joneses, oh, yes. whether it's what you're wearing, yes. what you're buying, um, what car you drive, or, you know, can you, you know, um, and pushing their own bodies to things they're doing in, in, in different environments that's really hard yes. physical labour and not wanting to stop and take a break. And there have been times where I've been like absolutely dying thinking I need to stop or I need to have a drink, but no one else seems to need to stop and have a no. drink, so I'll keep going. Yes. Whereas now I'm older, wiser, yes, exactly. Um, and more inclined to be like, to pull up and go, yes. actually, I'm going to take a break or I'm going to do a stretch exactly. or something. Or there's been times before we've gone mustering, you know, and I'll be there putting like my legs up on like the bull bar, trying to do these stretches, mm. looking like a complete mm. nutbag. Mm. Um, and everyone's like, what are you doing? Mm. Why aren't you stretching? And I, back in the day, I would have I know. just tried to fit in with exactly. everyone else. And I now I feel like that's kind of the equivalent of, of I know, what you're exactly. talking about. Like you've just totally. got to look after you yeah. and you do you. Don't worry about I've, I've gone with I don't care what anyone thinks Think anymore. So. I'll yeah. just do crazy stuff. Like in the airports, you know, like do my own yoga and like, you yeah. know, it's just like it doesn't worry me because I'm just like I'm just doing me, yeah. you know? Yeah. And and that's just me. And as long as I'm happy with what I'm doing, then it doesn't, I don't really care what anyone else thinks because it doesn't matter. And it so really I'm- doesn't matter. After six years off, you went back and qualified again. I did. For the world this year. I did. I mean, talk yeah. about an overachiever. Yeah. And also, actually, <laughs> while we're speaking of that, there have been several times you've qualified for this, um, or you've got this, uh, I guess, achievement or accolade called the Gold All World. Yes. So tell me about so that. So Ironman do this, uh, a gold, silver, bronze, all world athlete sections, I guess, that they put you in at the end of the – so once you've finished the calendar year of racing, they'll you, you can get an achievement, say, of, of gold, silver, or bronze. So, for instance, I, I won the Cairns Ironman and I got I won the 70.3 Sunny Coast and 20th in Hawaii and then I won the 70.3 Basselton, these from age group. And so because of that, I'll be, I'll be a gold world athlete for 2024. And that puts you in the one percent of the world for your category, yeah. So I don't know, yeah. It's um, don't know whether it's like so you can see how many races you do. So I may make more money, or <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know what I'll just make her do more races. So she yeah. wants to become a gold athlete. <laughs> like, yeah, that's true. That's true. But that, that's but incredible. It's still amazing. Yeah, it's still good. It's still like to still you still have to win to be a to gold world. So mm. so now that you've been through this. 
I guess, journey. Sometimes I don't like using I know, the word journey because it can be really like cringy. I know. Like, Ooh, I know. Expect some like montage. To yes, start you playing. do, don't you? Um, it's almost like a. I don't. Know, but this a, path, yeah, path, you've been on the recovery yeah. path, yeah, and you've reached a full recovery and competed in an Ironman. Would you? Is the plan to keep doing Ironmans now, like the, like as you were before, but try and obviously now you're approaching them differently, so you're not going to get to that um, injury stage again, mm. or do you hang up your boots, bike, and swimming togs at some yeah. point? What? Well, I've done that about three times now, I reckon. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, if there's I'll one thing you're not good at, it's quitting, which <laughs> exactly. I guess is a good quality to have. I know, I know. And I think that gets insteaded to you when, like, from coming from the, the station and going out and you've got to go in the 45 degree heat and you have to muster all day and, you know, there's no quitting and you have to wait until the cattle are in the yards or the sheep are in the shed or, and that's just what happens. And so you come from that no quitting attitude, really. And it's like, I man's the same. It's, it's like, yeah, it's just like an, it's just don't stop until you finish. Even one of the ones I did when I was at the end of 2017, I biked the quickest bike I've ever done. And then I ran or probably walked the slowest run I've ever done, but I wasn't going to not finish. Do you know what I mean? I was just like, I don't care. I'm just going to finish this race. So, but as, as what it comes to what your question was, was, am I going to hang up the togs and the boots? Well, that was the plan after Hawaii this year. So that was my, 10th full Ironman and my third time at Hawaii. And that was my big, my big dream back in 2019. And I was like, I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to go back. You know, I'm going to get, make a comeback. I'm going to be, you know, be able to do Ironman again. I'm going to qualify Hawaii and that's going to be it. Done. 10, 10 and out. And so I finished Hawaii and that was it. That was 10 and out and I was done and Hawaii, yeah, I'm not coming back here. And then after Hawaii, I was like, I'm just going to do the Bustleton 70.3 because that's not a full arm. I mean, that's a half arm. And I said I wasn't doing a, I said I wasn't doing any fulls. I was just going to do halves. So that fits what I said I was going to do. And it was in Bustleton. So, which is, you know, as close as I'm going to get to a hometown race. So I went down there with Sue, actually, with my Kinesio, you know, my BFF now. And <laughs> she came down with me and I raced that. And I just wanted to go out and have a good race. I just wanted to you know, go and see how hard I could go because it was a half and, you know, I didn't have to hold back. And so I won my age group for that and I qualified for the uh, 70.3 world, which is at Taupo in December next year, but it's during harvest. So we can't go to that one. Well, we can't, I can go by myself, but I don't want to go by myself because Nick hasn't been to New Zealand either. So we're going to wait till we could both go together. So I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And so. That was it. That was the end of that. And I went back to the farm and we were still harvesting and I was still helping along. And a week later, we, we finished harvest and I was um, driving down to uh, Sandy Cape in Durian Bay where we had our har- harvest party. And I just, it was a weekday. So I just wanted to quickly check my emails, make sure I didn't have to pay anybody or do anything. And an email pops up from Iron Man. It was like, congratulations, you've qualified for the world championship full Ironman in France with your a win at the, in the 70.3 and on, at Bustleton. And I was like, what? Like, and I was like, got goosebumps all the way through my body and I almost started crying. And I was like, what the, uh, what, how did that happen? I didn't even do a, I didn't even compete in that event. Like I did the half one. Yeah, exactly. Why are you trying to make me do the full one now? Exactly, exactly. But they're like, but if you do it, you can do it in France. Yeah, exactly. So you can go to Nice because that's what it is. <laughs> 
that's what it is in 2024. The girls go to, go to France and that'll be the first time the girls are in France. And, and I was like, no, <laughs> don't dangle the carrots. I was like, oh my God. And I had six days to make up my mind whether I accepted or not. And so I was like, oh my God. And I was like, going, what do I do? What do I do? Anyway. So I was, I was like, I said to everybody, I wasn't doing another Ironman again. But the funny thing is, is the people that, um, the, that own the farm that we've been on for, for 20, 20 odd years have got a villa in Nice. And so it's like literally right at the start line. And we've stayed there before in 2017. So I've actually done the Ironman by course when I was there in 2000. So it's almost like written stars <laughs> that I need, I needed to go back there. So I thought, Oh, what the hell? I'll just. I'll just accept it and then work out whether I'm going to go like after. So, yeah. So, spoiler alert, I'm um. <laughs> what a small world yeah. that your the the owners of your farm have a house right where the Iron Man is going to be in France. I know. Like, what have a farm is? in the WA yeah, wheat belt. Also, have a house in France because that goes together, of course. Exactly. Also, who are these people? Hi, want to adopt me? Yeah, <laughs> let's be friends. <laughs> I know farm stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and speaking of a small world, um, we've been trying to line up this podcast for a few years oh now. Full responsibility on my end that I'm a, you know, I I I like to do them in person, and I'm glad that we've actually I managed know, to do it because in all this needed to happen too. Yeah, otherwise the podcast would hardly have any be, stories. Yeah, exactly. It'd be a lot <laughs> we shorter. Need, we need more Hawaii's and France to talk about. <laughs> and when when you called me this year, um, on only like a couple of months ago yeah. to to catch up and be like to, yeah. in the planning, uh, lo and behold, for Small World, I'd actually been on the sa- like in the same room or shed as your daughter just a few days earlier who is working on a station in the Territory this year or was on a station. So, again, what a small world. I know, very small And world. it's one where my partner's gone out flying, so he knew she- who she was. Like of all the stations, of all the – People out there. I know, exactly. In What's that like, saying about one degree of separation or something? Yeah, yeah. it's a lot mm. smaller when it comes to cows, I tell you that. Yes. So that is one hell of a journey um, to go from growing up in Broken Hill to being a world qualifier iron, well, iron woman. I know. I reckon they still need to change the yeah. – or we need to change the, the <laughs> call yeah, iron people. Yeah. Well, no, not iron people, but <laughs> I, if they're going to have a race where it's like iron – Girls, just all girls. Yeah. Then it needs to be iron woman. Iron it? woman. Yeah. 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 They can have the iron men when they do the whole like world champs. Yeah. 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 So yeah. So, so I need to um do the book now. I've been saying to everybody I was going to write a book, but I think I yeah. always need a ghostwriter. Well, yes, and you also need to stop doing. Wait, wait until you finish, so yeah. that otherwise you're going to have to do a part two because there'll be more stories <laughs> to come out. Exactly. Um, but I just. I'm, I just can't believe all the things you do. <laughs> like, I'm like, okay, I feel like I need to go for a walk slash run now, but let's be honest, I'll probably walk to the fridge. It's all right, one step at a time. It's still walking. Exactly, exactly. Start by starting. You don't have to be amazing to start, but you have to start to be amazing. There you go. Well, I will remember that. I'm going to write that down. I also want to know, I know you're prepared for this because it's what I ask everyone at the end of every episode. Looking back on your story so far, and I guess putting an emphasis on the so far, because it sounds like you're far from finished, what would you say is a major takeaway lesson? I think that, um, I think in, that the best thing about this is that, and I think I've shown people as well and it's inspired people hopefully as well, that 
whenever there's a will, there's a way. And don't let your circumstances or, for example, where you live or how how you're feeling or, yeah, or how much money you've got or anything, get in the way of of your dreams or what you're passionate about because you can always, you know, if you don't have a, a swimming pool, you can swim in the dam. If you don't have, you know, bitumen roads, you can go on a trainer. You just find different ways of achieving achieving your goals, like teaching teaching yourself gymnastics from from a video. There's so many ways, especially nowadays as well, that you can learn things. Use your imagination sometimes as well, like and just think outside the box. And one of my Hawaii's, I couldn't run, so I water ran for seven hours a week in the water. I didn't train on dry land, and yet I did a marathon at the end of an Ironman. So you really just need to look at the box. Don't don't follow conventional things. Just think of different ways and think try to think of different ways of doing things. And you can do anything you want to put your mind to, basically. You just have to find a way to do it. 